welcome, church. If you would stand, if you're able, if you would like to, we're going to worship the Lord this morning. I'm just going to open us in a word of prayer. Kevin, if you would play for us. God, thank you so much for this day. God, that we come together as one family to worship you. That is our desire. That is our single goal this morning. We just want to worship you. Whatever that looks like for each of us, we bring ourselves. We put ourselves on the altar this morning as a sacrifice, as Paul said, a living sacrifice to you, God. We thank you for all the wonderful, beautiful things that you're doing in our community, all the opportunities that we have to serve, to connect, to be with our brothers and sisters. We're grateful this morning, God, for this moment to gather together as a community and fix our eyes on your beauty and your glory this morning. We say to you, God, here I am. Come and meet us here, God. Amen. I'll just throw a plug in here. I hope to see you guys on Wednesday when we're able to come and pray. Had to miss the first one after I preached about it because I was sick, which was a real bummer. So I hope you guys will be there. It's going to be awesome. Let's worship the Lord this morning together.
worship you this morning, God. You're so good. I'm going to read a call to worship this morning. This is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. It says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Pray, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Everyone said, Amen. Then bursting forth in glory. 
sing this next song, which we've sang before and you know it, I just want to encourage you to really think about the things that we're saying. It's so easy for us to sing things that are familiar. This song is also called the creed. And we declare these things. These are the things that we believe. And sometimes we say them or we say that we believe them without really meditating on these truths. So I just want to encourage you as we sing this to really let those truths sit in your heart to permeate all of your doubts, your struggles, like some of these things might be challenges for you, just embrace that and, and just speak these things to the Lord, the things that you feel strong in your faith and the places where you're struggling so that we can confess those things to the Lord, amen?
sure I thought it was time but I was like wait don't go too soon thank you Nikki it was good to have you back today and as always um, I'm always blessed by your leading us in worship but um, I definitely noticed how you intentionally made an effort to do that today with your wording with your um, just your motions and I just always appreciate that thank you for bringing us with you as you approach the throne in wholehearted worship that's what a worship leader does, and that's what you do, and I'm so grateful for that, and I just praise God for you, so thank you. Um, we're going to continue in an attitude of worship this morning as we come together as the body of Christ. Uh, something about the, the language, Wade's going to help us get there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't even know you were back there still. It kind of scared me for a second. Um, uh, there was something, though, in the language of, of the songs today and just, I think, um, in the atmosphere that was pointing me continually towards us as a body. Um, that's just standing out to me this morning for whatever reason, that we are a body. We are one. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And I hope that this morning we can come in prayer together as one. I hope that you will um, lift one another up in prayer. Be praying for one another. Be praying that God would bring you closer to one another, that God would, would help you to grow in your relationships with one another. Be praying that we would be gracious towards one another, that we would be loving and kind and forgiving toward one another. Be praying that we would be open to growing closer together, that we would, as we have talked about throughout the series, open ourselves up fully to God and open ourselves up fully to each other, knowing that we are together. We're in this together, and we're better when we are together. That's so cheesy and so cliche, but it's also so true that we are better together. And so I'm just praying for a unified body this morning, and I hope that people will come to mind that you can be lifting up in prayer. Let's continue to lift up Heather and, and, and Kenny and Melanie and Carrie and Tilly. We're gonna continuously, as the apostle says, pray for them. We're gonna continually lift them up and think of them uh, and pray for them in these days. Uh, be praying for uh, one of our students who went to camp this past week, Dominic. Um, Right at the very end of camp, he actually fell and broke his ankle, and he's doing fine um, considering he has had little pain. Actually, it's been really surprising, praise God, <laughs> but um, just be praying for him that he would recover well, that they'll get all of that sorted. He's supposed to be seeing an orthopedic surgeon this week, I think, and or a doctor, uh, just to see what's next and, and all of that. So be praying for him and his mom. And um, I'm praying because, Dominic, you probably have no idea who I'm talking about. Uh, he comes to our student ministry on Sunday evenings. Um, so you wouldn't recognize him or know him personally, but I'm also praying that God would help us uh, as the only church he's connected to, to be faithful and lifting him up in prayer. And 
and I'm prayerfully considering how we can come alongside Dominic and his mom and just um, let them know that we're here and that that we love them. And so would you just join me in praying for that situation and that God would help us to know how to, how to love and, and help them through this time? Um, be praying for those. There's lots of people gone and traveling. Uh, that's the summer. You never know who will be here and who won't be because we're here, there, and everywhere. So remember those who are, are traveling, those who aren't here today. Uh, we remember them. And for those who are dealing with various health issues, I know Jean has her surgery coming up in July. She's got another big surgery coming up, so we're praying for you, Jean. And Phil, Phil's got a lot going on that he's trying to uh, deal with too, so we're lifting you guys up and and your health journey. Um, And I know there's others. And if I could see your faces, perhaps they would come to mind. <laughs> but it is dark and I can't see your faces. So uh, these are just some of the things that come to mind as we go in prayer before the Lord this morning. So let's pray, church. Let's come together in prayer. God, I am particularly grateful this morning for this community, for this particular body, for this parish. I thank you, Lord, that even though we all come from different places, we don't all live in this direct vicinity, God, that you have brought us together, that there is a purpose for us being together and being the body, the community that makes up Belleville First Church of the Nazarene. And God, I pray that you would just continue to show us what it looks like to be a holy people. Help us to see what it looks like to be a a people who seek to love and bless their neighbor. God, as we gather together and as we leave and go to our, our separate places, God, would you help us to carry your love with us? May we be open to those who are around us, those whom you've placed in our paths, God. May we have the eyes to see all of those that you've called us to bless. God, it's just on my heart this morning that we would recognize that we are blessed to have each other. And I pray that you would continue to to help us to grow closer to one another. Help us, God, to become even more united as a body of Christ. Help us to come together in our differences. Help us to come together as we come from different walks of life. Help us to come together as we view and see things differently. Help us to come together when our personalities aren't all the same. God, would you just help us to come together on the common ground that you are Lord, that you love us, we love you, and we want to offer all of ourselves to you. God, I pray for those in our community, in our congregation, who are hurting, whether it's physically, Lord, we pray for those who are continuing to grieve. We remember the Peters family, God. We lift them up to you. God, help us to know how to continue to be Christ during this time. 
Holy Spirit, we pray that we would be ever so sensitive to the unique ways that you might call us to love on those who are hurting right here, right now. Help us to remember them, to keep them in our minds and hold them closely in our prayers and and help us, Lord, to know how we can be a blessing, how we can reach out and be Christ in the flesh to our brothers and sisters who are hurting and who are going through difficult times. God, help us to, this is so difficult, but God, help us to be able to be vulnerable with one another. God, it is so tempting, as we've been talking about it, so tempting and it's so easy to retreat and to to separate ourselves from living in full, authentic community with one another. It's easier to, to live in hiding because we're afraid of being rejected. We are afraid of being judged. We are afraid of being hurt. We are afraid of being misunderstood. We are afraid of being fully understood and seen. But God, help us to overcome those fears and help us to see that you designed us, you created us to live in authentic, transparent community with one another, opening ourselves up, giving ourselves away to one another, being fully honest with one another about what you're doing, what what we're struggling with, how we are searching for you, how we are trying to be more like you. God, this is your design design for your people. This is how the people of God live faithfully and in holy community with you, Father, Son, and Spirit. Help us to reflect and live into that community to which we have been called. This is a hard word. We are rugged individualists. We are self-sufficient. We are independent. And this is completely countercultural. And so we recognize that we need your help, God. We recognize that we need to open ourselves up fully to the Holy Spirit that wants to come in, who wants to form us and shape us to look more like you, Father, Son, and Spirit. Would you give us an imagination for that again today? Would you help us to see once again how we can grow in these things? Would you open up our hearts? Help us to not be critical this morning. Help us to be open to your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray that we wouldn't grieve you that we would truly be open and ready to hear whatever it is that you want us to hear this morning. I pray that we would have the eyes to see and ears to hear and that we would be willing to lean more into your vision for what it looks like for us to be your holy people. And so we... Thank you, God, for hearing our prayers. Thank you for hearing our hearts this morning. And we pray all of this in the name of God the Father, in Christ the Son, and in the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, 
Amen. Amen. Well, for those of you who haven't been here, as I said, it's summertime and we're here, there, and everywhere, and I get that. It's pretty typical for this time of year. But for those of you who have maybe been gone, um, we are in week three of a summer sermon series called Godspeed. And um, I won't go too much into it because I can definitely like preach a recap sermon that nobody really wants because you can go online and listen to it if you want, so there's no reason, but I will just quickly tell Tell you that week one, we just simply looked at what it looks like to uh, hear the question from God to us, this question of where are you? We looked at our place and, and really looking at where are we? As God says to humanity, where are you? He's lovingly searching for us. Last week, we talked about presence and we looked at Moses' proclamation before Yahweh saying, here I am. We talked about how it's not about where you are, whether you're in a country in the middle of nowhere and just knowing your people that are also out in the country with you. It's not about moving to a big city to to reach the political center of a nation and make a big change. It's not about location. It's about presence, being before a holy God saying, here I am, and being before one another saying, here I am. And this week, we are looking at pace. We're looking at the pace in which we go about doing these things. We're talking about God's speed today. Series, not to be confused with God's speed, we're looking at God's particular speed. And I'm going to open up this morning with a very weird question, okay? It's a weird question. It's a little awkward. It's not the question you were hoping to hear when you came to church today. I'm just going to acknowledge that. Kids, you might appreciate this question. You might be confused by it, but it's weird. So we're just going to lean into a little bit of weird this morning, okay? What do pigs and parish work have in common? Think about that for a second. I know, you're totally weirded out. Rebecca thought it was funny, though. (laughs) What do pigs and parish work? Remember last week we talked specifically about what a parish is. A parish refers to not dying in this context, but a physical location, a physical body of people who are bound together by land. In this case, it's a little bit of land and also faith, right, that binds us together. However, we do have people who are literally physically bound to us, which I love, that are in this neighborhood. But that's our parish. So what do pigs and parish work have in common? Well, does anybody know? Messy. Ooh, that's good. That is good. That's, and that, that, that applies. That is relevant to what we're talking about. Thank you for that. It's messy. Yes, <laughs> it's very messy. Pigs travel in herds. That's also, you guys, I was not fully ready for what you could teach me this morning. I'm here for it. This is good. This is good. One more. Anybody want to take a guess? Down in the dirt. Also fantastic. Somebody write these down for me because we're going to go somewhere with these later. Who knew that one weird metaphor could go so many different directions? I'm very excited about your responses. That's all very, very good. And it definitely goes along with what we're leaning towards this morning. Friends, farming pigs 
and parish work. While it seems like these two things couldn't be any further apart from one another, what you need to understand is both processes can be uh, hurried along. Both of these things can be rushed and they can be hurried along, but it may not always be the best way to go about doing things. So I don't think a lot about farming pigs or raising pigs to, you know, meet their fate. I don't think about these things. I don't want to think about these things. These are not pleasant things that I think about in my spare time. But as I've been sharing with you that I'm going through this um, study that's based on this series that we're, that we're in, Godspeed, I appreciated how the pastor, his name is Matt, and he is the one um, that's the center of this documentary, this film that I've shared with you guys. Matt was talking about how when he was in this little town, this little village of Methlick, Scotland, how they would raise pigs and they raised them the old-fashioned way. There were no unnatural substances given to the pigs. There were no growth hormones given to them to speed up the process. They actually had conversations with their children that helped them to know that these are not pets, right? (laughs) These are not pets, do not become attached. But while they are here, we are going to care for them, we're going to tend to them, and we are going to steward them to the best of our ability so that these pigs can be... (laughs) Again, words I never thought I would utter ever from the platform, be the biggest blessing to our community. And we want to do that the right way, even if it's the long and more difficult way. And so he talks about how we, especially here in the Western world, we are in this society, this culture that wants to speed up the process to get quicker results, right? Because time is money, and we don't have time to let these pigs grow and mature completely on their own. We need to inject them with unnatural substances. We need to inject them with growth hormones so that we can speed up the process, get more, and make more, more profit. If we have to sacrifice flavor for profit, it's fine. That's what we do here. And he talks about how when they saw these pigs from birth to the end— how uh, our kids are here, so I'm going to be sensitive, and for my own sake, (laughs) feeling a little nauseous. Um, He talked about how when these pigs grow, and, and when they reach the end, he said, and this sounds really odd, but we're going somewhere, you would not believe, and I, I believe him. He was so serious. He said, you would not believe the difference in flavor. Like when you compare the flavor of of these to that of the process that is injected and and sped up in ways that are unnatural, he said it it was unparalleled and it was (laughs) life-changing. And I imagine because we already love bacon and I think bacon done the right way would be even more amazing. So I thought that was so interesting. And while I totally, again, acknowledge that that's not the metaphor or the the conversation that you wanted to have when you came to church this morning, but I really appreciate the ultimate question that we're getting at here. And that question is this. What do we do when we have lost the taste for things that take time? Read that again. What do we do when we've lost taste for things that take time? And by the way, we are not talking about bacon anymore. We're moving on. Move on as best you can. What do we do when we've lost the taste for things that take time? Because friends, you're aware of this. I'm just reminding us. 
We live in a culture and in a time where we don't like to wait for anything. And I'm just going to tell you, this week was one of those weeks where all of that, I've, all that I have prepared to preach to you, I was the recipient first, okay? <laughs> I have received this sermon in about three different ways. The Lord has used this sermon to convict me strongly, okay? So I just want you to know that. I've had to deal with that and wrestle with that all week long, and so I am receiving with you, alongside you this morning. Picture me sitting down here on the bar stool like last time, Remember? That's where I am this morning. We live in a culture and a time where we don't like to wait for anything. We are impatient and everything in our culture only feeds our impatience and inability to wait well. Uh, When is the last time that you were frustrated when you had to wait on something? Maybe for some of you, it's it's life-changing and serious. I have a very good friend whose daughter went in for a checkup and they found a spot and she just graduated high school and it was like this really scary thing where they said like this spot is abnormally large and she needs to come back in for testing and we need to see what this is. And there was a waiting period and it was really hard and really long and really scary. And we definitely don't like to wait in those instances. But I'm talking about something that's a little bit less life-threatening. We don't even like to wait for our food to warm up in the microwave. Like after 30 seconds, I'm like, has it, has it only been 25 seconds? <laughs> right? And, and when is the last time you got frustrated? I'll confess. My kids are here. They're present this morning. They can totally throw me under the bus as I am throwing myself under. We were driving home the other night after going to the water park and we went through the drive-thru and grabbed some dinner. It took a very long time. I paid way more than I wanted to for that measly little meal. And I was driving home frustrated because I was tired. I was hot. I just spent way too much money on way little food. And the food is getting cold. And every slow driver in Belleville is finding their way in front of me. And I was getting frustrated. Right? I was getting frustrated. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit is alive and well in me, and so it kept me from like completely flying off the handle, but I definitely was muttering under my breath, oh, why is every slow car getting in front of me? It was less adorable than that. It was very frustrated. It was a legit frustrating moment for me. But we get frustrated when we have to wait on anything to the point, and our kids are growing up in a society. I grieve this for all of us, especially us parents that are in the now with them. We are raising a generation where their attention spans are non-existent. They can't focus on much at all. We have, we have our attention spans are decreasing. Our patience is decreasing. The moments we have to spare to one another is decreasing. The time to wait on anything is quickly decreasing. We, as a society, as a culture, we value efficiency. We value what's the most profitable. What's the way that we can get there the quickest, even though it's not usually by design, like the pig farming. And in some cases, I think it really wasn't meant to be that way, and we are suffering the consequences. I think in some cases, it's not a big deal. Technology is great. I think technology has changed our world in so many great ways that saves us time. But even that can be a little detrimental because with that time that is saved, we're only pursuing the unhealthy things. With You see where I'm going? It's kind of a vicious circle. It's great, but then us, and so then it's not great. 
And so perhaps we suffer, I was reading about this this week, from hurry sickness. Have you ever heard of this uh, phrase or this idea of hurry sickness? Here are some symptoms of hurry sickness. There's this irritability or hypersensitivity. And for me, uh, conviction like number two for me this week was thinking about how when I'm in a conversation with somebody and I have like five pressing things that I need to do, I'm very irritable and like thinking about those things I need to be doing and I'm not in the moment talking to the person. That's a hurry sickness symptom and that's not good, right? And sometimes there are exceptions, but, but when I can't even see someone and have a conversation with them and be fully present because all I'm thinking about are the list of things that I need to go do, Something needs to be acknowledged there. That's probably not the best thing. Another symptom is restlessness, this inability to relax when you finally do stop, this inability to Sabbath, if you will. We just can't stop. We have to keep going because if we stop, then, then something's not being produced and we are people who highly value productivity and so we have to keep going. We can't stop and so we have this restlessness as a symptom. Compulsive overworking kind of goes along with that. Some of us are emotionally numb. We are stimulated in so many ways from so many things, and we are emotionally numb and therefore emotionally, I would say, unavailable to one another. We can't fully be available to one another because our minds are, are in all these different places. We've been overstimulated, and now we are just numb. We, we see another symptom of escapist behaviors, Binge watching, excessive social media scrolling, overconsumption of food or alcohol. It's like this overfilling with things that are not good and leaves us therefore unfulfilled. You can see a disconnection from your identity or your calling. In other words, I thought about not being fully present before God saying, here I am. What do you want me to do before you right here, right now? Another symptom, hoarding energy, and perhaps one of the most devastating, infrequent spiritual practices. We don't make time for things like, like solitude or silence or retreating or reflection, right? Because those things don't feel productive. We're not seeing any immediate results from those things, and therefore we tend to abandon them altogether when, friends, that is when some of the deepest formation happens, and so these are just maybe some symptoms of what we know as hurry, sickness, and this, friends, is the product of the culture in which we live. And, and I think these things probably impact us all in different ways. I think I can see for myself personally, as I confessed, I went down this list and I thought, ouch, that hurts, ouch, that's relevant, ouch, you know, and I saw where these were relevant to myself. But I also have to confess to you that as a pastor, I am sensitive and aware of the impact of hurry sickness on the church. I was sensitive and aware as to how hurry sickness, a, a hurry culture impacts in a negative way what, how we do community in the church. And if you look throughout scripture, when you look at scripture, I think we are given this vision, if you will, or this glimpse of God's speed. Now, remember, we've been talking about how God's speed is not about a particular speed, whether it's fast or slow, but it's about flourishing. 
The phrase God speed means may God flourish you. And so it's all about flourishing, not about speed, how fast or how slow. However, I would say that if we are measuring God's speed by how fast or how slow, we might confess that God's speed is sometimes, a lot of times, slower than we would like. Can I get an amen there? Yeah? We, a lot of times, want God to move quicker. God, I need you to touch this now in an instant, in a moment, not over a long period of time. If we were really honest, I think we would say that Even though God's speed is not about speed, we make it about speed, and it's certainly not our speed, the one that we are accustomed to in our day and in our culture. And I think when we look through Scripture, we absolutely see God and Jesus both work and move instantaneously at different times right? Instant healing. Uh, I think about the Apostle Paul when he is uh, radically changed by Christ. That was, in a way, in a moment. We do see these instantaneous moments of God's movement. But if we're honest, I think we would say that as we look throughout Scripture and as we look at our lives, a lot of times it, it is slower than we would like, and it maybe causes us to question or to wonder, God, if you can, why don't you? If you can do it in an instant or in a moment, why don't you? I think about things throughout Scripture that have taken time. Even if they don't significantly impact our everyday, we wonder why. Like for in creation, in the creation account, for instance, God could have done all of that instantly. And yet, there is so much attention and detail given to the process, Right? The creation story is this beautiful story that is full of details of each day, whether we're talking about a literal 24-hour day or not. The reality is that there was a process. God went through a process, and he observed, and he paused, and he reflected. And it's just so interesting that it wasn't in a moment. It was a process for the God of the universe. He spoke, and it was, and he went through a six-day process. It's just interesting. I think about maybe on the more like, this one's a little more difficult for us, is the journey of the Israelite nation. We see 400 years of slavery, and we just wonder why. Why? Why did it go on for so long? Why? Why, did, why was it allowed to happen for so long? That's such a long time. We see 40 years in the wilderness. And, and I will say, I'll confess that I think the Israelites can own some of that. They, they accepted some of that for themselves. I think they chose some of that for themselves. But still, it was just such a long process of, of God trying to move them to a, the place where he wanted them spiritually. And, and he was calling them to be a people. And it was just, it just took forever. And it's like, God, if you can, why don't you? And we see this process continues through numerous prophets, numerous kings, long periods of exile. I mean, you talk about a slow speed. We're talking like three miles an hour compared to our 60 that we're used to. And then the most captivating thing, I think, if we really pause and think about it, is the incarnation. And that's one of our texts today. We're going to read a couple, so I'm just going to jump right to it. But in Luke chapter 2, we, we really, you know, Luke goes into the birth narrative of Christ. 
And so we see certainly the birth side of it. We, we are aware of Mary's pregnancy, and, and that's all very relevant. But think about it as Luke goes on and tells the story. He says, Then he, Jesus, went down to Nazareth with them, his parents, and he was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. Listen to this. Let it sink in for a moment. Really think about this. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He grew into those things. It didn't happen in an instant, evidently. It's one of those weird, complex, mysterious things, I think. We don't really know for certain, but all I can tell you is that Luke says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. This wasn't in an instant or in a moment. Jesus was a toddler. That's mind-boggling to me, that Jesus was a toddler. And I have to imagine if, if, if God incarnate took on all that it means to be human and in the flesh, I have to imagine that Jesus threw fits as a toddler, I hope so. Like That makes me feel a little more seen and like I can relate. <laughs> Jesus was a toddler though. Jesus was an adolescent. You guys, Jesus went through the awkward preteen phase. That's mind boggling. The awkward preteen phase that parents just want to get through. It's like, oh my goodness, we just got to get through this really awkward, loud, weird time. Kids. I mean, have you ever thought about, we've got our kids in the room, lots of preteens in the room. Have you guys ever really thought about the fact that Jesus was where you are right now? Jesus was your age. Jesus went through those difficult things that you go through as an adolescent. Jesus was a teenager. He was a young adult who grew and matured over time. Luke says he grew in wisdom and in stature. And that word for stature essentially means maturity or personal development. He matured and developed over time. So if you think about this, God incarnate grew and personally developed over time. That's mind boggling to me when I really think about it. Because as we see Throughout the, throughout the Gospels and throughout the story of God, what this really reveals to us is that when God decided to show, to reveal to humanity the fullness of his love, he decided to be born. That's mind-boggling. He didn't arrive on the earth as a fully formed adult. The person upon whom our entire salvation depended had to grow up. Our salvation, friends, was lived at an ordinary speed in ordinary places, going face to face with ordinary people. Divine love lives at this speed. Friends, this is God's speed. And we see I think as we go throughout scripture, I won't spend a lot of time on this. I know it's a lot today. But as we go throughout scripture, I even see this in the gospels. We see this in the gospels, this idea that the kingdom of God, God's way of doing things is upside down from what we've come to know and expect in our everyday culture. It's not always what we expect and it's not always what we want. And quite frankly, sometimes in our standards, it's just unimpressive. 
Compared to, to what we know God can do, sometimes the things that God does do in ordinary and mundane ways feels simply unimpressive. And I think about the parables that Jesus talks about with the mustard seed and the parable of yeast. In Matthew 13, we read this two short, short parables. Jesus like just kind of throws them out there and then moves on. But he's communicating a profound um, idea here. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into, the, into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. That's it. That's the parable. <laughs> That's what the kingdom of God is like. That one leaves me a little bit puzzled and makes me really have to ponder what is the meaning here? What is Jesus trying to say? The mustard seed one, I think it's pretty well known and recognized. It's, it's spoken about often. And, and I think the mustard seed one we get, like mustard seeds are unimpressive, tiny, teeny little seeds and unimpressive at first, but then grow into these large trees. Okay, we can grasp that one. I think where this parable of the, the dough or the yeast uh, comes in is a little more confusing, especially when Jesus uses yeast in other cases as something to look out for. Right? Yeast kind of represents corruption in some places. When he sa- like when he says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. That's a warning. It's a sign that, that this is corruption that I want you to stay away from. But I think there's something different going on in this particular parable when he's talking about yeast or leaven. And scholars note that, that Jesus often does this. He pairs two parables together to make a point, to communicate something important. And they note that, that that challenges this particular reference to the yeast. And so I think what Jesus, one of the things that I think Jesus is saying is that while the mustard seed is so tiny and unimpressive, it grows into this large plant which becomes a tree. But here's the thing that I've, I've learned and read. It's not an impressive tree. It's, I don't think, it, from what I understand, it's not a tree that's desirable, that's like so beautiful and captivating, to, you know, visually pleasing to the eye that it's like, I want one of those trees. It's just useful and that's all. It's a useful, unimpressive tree that serves its purpose. I really appreciated this week I read from a New Testament professor, John T. Carroll, And he talks about how this is descriptive, as we know Jesus is trying to say, of the kingdom of God and of God's reign in that it starts small and even in its effective operation is no majestic or towering tree. And yet it gets the job done. It brings life and help and hope to all manner of creation. And he brings it all together and says the church Whatever its size and resources is still given this world-transforming mission. I hope you see where we're going here. And so then we go to the dough. Bring it all home here. The dough, in this original translation, what I, what I saw this week, what I learned this week, is that the original translation actually communicates that the woman hides the dough or hides the yeast in the dough. 
She hides it in there. And that comes from this Greek word, however we pronounce it, in ekrypsin, which means to hide in, to conceal, or to incorporate with. And so stay with me. I love this. John T. Carroll speaks again of this transformation. And Jesus uses, again, one of the most, um, in society, this would have not been anything that anyone thought twice about. Jesus offers a woman baking bread, which in a, I love bread, so this is like my favorite person, okay? But in her society, she would have been viewed as, uh, this is what she does. She's a woman, she bakes bread. That's her identity, that's what she does. And Jesus uses this woman breaking bread as an image of the reigning presence of God in the world. She hid the yeast in three measures of flour, this amount that is sufficient enough to bake 40 or more loaves. And so this image of concealment is important here. It's hidden and unseen within the bread lies at the source of its inevitable transformation. Do you see what's happening? What Jesus is trying to say that as with the mustard seed, a small amount of yeast produces dramatic transformational change. Even if it's not evident at first, its change is nevertheless coming. This is God's speed. The question again is, what do we do when we've lost taste for the things that take time? And so I'm reminded that God's speed often comes in ways or at a speed in which we don't prefer. We become discouraged frustrated. We wonder if God is absent or given up, and and we see that it's such a long process, and a lot of times for us, it's discouraging. But what I see is God's speed and process throughout Scripture, as seen in both of these passages, hints something very important that the church, including myself, needs to remember, that God's reign is at work. God's world is being remade. God is doing a new thing. God's spirit is moving even when it doesn't appear to be so. And God is doing what God is doing in God's time. And as someone who wants to see the change instantly, as someone who appreciates a life transformation that I can see and measure, and point to, that's really hard. And I really appreciated conviction number three. I'm just laying it all out before you. Conviction number three was I often get frustrated when I'm engaging with other people and I'm just like, Lord, are you doing anything in their lives? And this week, the Lord was like, how many times do people think that about you? And how slow is your change? Right? And I thought this week, like, how slow and frustrating my own transformation is some days. And so I'm reminded that when I'm engaging with other people, that God is at work in their lives, even if it's hard for me to see sometimes. And we see that Jesus chose the long, hard work of growing up, of knowing others, being known, He had everyday, ordinary, mundane moments, and through his life, we see a personal God who works in very ordinary ways. 
even if we admit it's at a pace which we usually, in which we don't usually move. There is a, I'll end with this, a Japanese theologian, uh, perhaps you've heard of him, Kosuke Koyama. And he says this about Godspeed. He is the theologian that's famous for this idea of, of a three-mile-per-hour God when we're wanting a 60-mile-per-hour God. <laughs> I'm not going to make you confess how fast you actually drive on the interstate because most of the time 60 is too slow for us, <laughs> for some of us, and so that's even more challenging. But he's the one who talks about this idea that, that, that God moves at three miles per hour compared to our 60, but he says this. God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It is slow, yet it is Lord over all other speeds since it is the speed of love. So there we have it. This is a glimpse at God's speed, and it's challenging. And the question might be this morning, okay, so what do we do with all that? I just dumped a lot on you. What do we do with that? What do we do when we've lost the taste for things that take time? I wonder if for some it could be as simple as just slowing down. I think this will look different for everyone, but I wonder if we could all commit to doing something that, that kind of forces us, if you will, to move a little bit slower, whether that's mentally, emotionally, physically, like just to slow ourselves down to be present and aware of what God is doing. My biggest challenge personally is that we ought to ask the Holy Spirit to give us this long-suffering, patient love that we see in God and in Christ that we would be open to take opportunities where we have to wait for something and simply open ourselves up and ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want to teach me in this process of waiting? What is it that you have for me as I wait? I'm going to ask the praise team to come as we prepare for a time of reflection and, and prayer. I wonder if we, I appreciate Nikki again reminding us that this Wednesday we're going to gather here at the church at 6.30 for prayer. I wonder if this is something that we can be praying about as a body, that, that collectively and individually that we would be open to what God is doing in God's time. That we wouldn't feel the need to rush. That we wouldn't feel the need to look around and measure certain areas and say, well, that's not growing, that's not growing, this is discouraging, this is dying, this is failing, and instead just open ourselves up to what God is doing. And so a way that you can do that practically this week, just a little practical challenge for you to help kind of get you in this, in this mode is to go for a meandering walk. Don't have a, try as hard as you can not to have an agenda or even maybe an end destination. I mean, if it's 100 degrees, maybe that's not the worst thing in the world to map yourself out so that you don't die of heat exhaustion. But go for a meandering walk. Enjoy noticing things that you perhaps don't usually take the time to notice. But in, most importantly, as you walk, as you walk at this speed, just walking, think about Jesus walking this speed every day and accomplishing, working toward that, accomplishing our salvation for us, one faithful step at a time. 
And he continues to work that out in us one faithful step at a time. So God, we, in this moment, open our hearts to you and we receive direction and guidance from the Holy Spirit. God, would you help us to have the same kingdom vision that you have, that Christ had, and would you help us help us to not rush the process, but to be open and present and faithful as we wait. Amen. Practice, but I want to do this one really slow, like slower than you think you should, because I think that it's good for us just to take that moment and process. Interestingly, this song is all about the incarnation. It talks a lot about God's love. All the things that I hope as we're singing it, you're thinking about um, what Pastor Nicole is saying about the implications of the incarnation, the slowness of growth, and as our human experience, uh, especially in Jesus' day when they didn't have cars and technology and all the things. And what we just read about the speed of love as we're singing about love and thinking about that and thinking about the Father's love and the time that he takes with us and how special that is. So it might feel a little slower than we normally sing it. Just lean into that. You guys can stand if you're able. If you would like, you can stay seated. You can kneel. Whatever feels comfortable to you as we worship. Um, but let's just take a moment. Oh, 
As we transition to uh, communion, to receiving communion together, uh, you may be seated. Uh, but I want you to think about a couple of things as you um, just prepare to receive this morning. Remember, we've talked about before how another term for communion is Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving. And so I implore you to come to the table. That's our way of saying, come forward and receive. Come forward to the table with hearts that are thankful, with hearts that are open to the ways that the cross reaches us and, and transforms our lives, and we are thankful for what Christ has done for us. That he gave up his life so that we would find and have ours in him. But I also appreciated, as I was thinking about this week, we can hold these things together as we gather around the table and as we receive the bread and cup, and, and I say that these are tangible, uh, this is grace that you can touch and feel and hold. It's a reminder, right, that you can touch and feel and hold. It's a reminder of so many things, what Christ has accomplished for us, for the world, but it's also this reminder of the hope and redemption that, that we have that is not fully yet realized in Christ. He's come, he's coming again. Right? And so we are in this season of waiting, and we are reminded every day of the reality of our waiting for Christ to come and make all things new. And I, I just want to share this quote by Tish Harrison Warren in her book, Liturgy of the Ordinary. She says, Redemption is crashing into our little stretch of the universe, bit by bit, day by day, mile by coming mile. And we have hope because our Lord has promised that he is preparing a place for us. We are waiting, but we will make it home. And so I'm going to invite um, Pastor Bo to come, and we're going to prepare to receive. And I just want to challenge you to open up your hearts to God. Let God speak to you in these moments we do have an open table here. You do not have to be a member of BFCN to receive, to come and receive. We just ask that you open your hearts to God. And if you see your need for more of God and his grace in your life, then you are welcome to come. And so I will ask if anyone needs me to come to them, if you will lift up your hands and I will come and serve you. 
God, we ask you to draw near in this moment and in a way that only you can do. God, I pray that you would use these elements to remind us of your great love, a love that could never be fully comprehended or understood, and yet we are so very thankful for the love that we see in Christ and his life and his death and proclaimed in his resurrection victoriously. God, we pray that these, this bread and this cup would be a reminder of not only your love, but that you go with us, that you continue to strengthen us and nourish us And we are so desperate for more of your nourishment. And we pray with thanksgiving all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, on the night that our Lord was betrayed, he gathered with his disciples and he broke, he took some bread and he broke it and he gave it to them. He said, this is my body which has been broken for you. Take and eat and may it preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Friends, take and eat and be thankful. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, This is the blood of the new covenant that has been poured out for you. For the forgiveness of sins, may you take and drink and let it preserve you blameless until everlasting life. So friends, take, drink, be thankful. I'm going to invite you all to stand as we close with this song, the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. may you go in the grace and peace of our Lord. May you go at God's speed this week. May you look for the ways when you have to wait that God is absolutely at work in your life. And may you trust and wait upon the Lord. And may he renew your strength. Go in his peace. You are dismissed. Have a great day.